So, the need for wisdom. There is a close connection between verses 2 through 4 and verses 5 through 8. So they can't be divorced from one another. If you read enough commentaries on this, you'll say, some people will say there is a connection, but don't make too much of it. And some, some commentators will say there's an undeniable connection between verses 2 through 4 and verses 5 through 8. I would be in that latter camp. I think there's an undeniable connection between trials and the need for wisdom because I think trials drive me to ask deeper questions about God, about the world, I was reading a wonderful commentary by R. Kent Hughes, and he was talking about how in the tapestry that God is weaving together, I only see it from below. God sees the tapestry from above. I can't see what he's creating from my standpoint. I can only see it as a human, but God sees it from above. God sees it in his omniscience, in his all-knowingness, in his majesty and grandeur and glory. I only see a small part. And because of my limited vision, trials often take me to a place where God wants to expand my vision or he wants me to see the world and even my own life and walk as he sees it. And so I think he knows that trials in verses 2 through 4 are a unique opportunity for growth. And I mentioned to you that in verse 2, we need to kind of reconsider or recalculate trials. We have to count them all joy. Instead of a deficit, we need to see them as an asset. But as I mentioned in the opening comments, it's much easier for me to tell somebody that than to do that in my own trial. I can sit in my pastor's chair and try to give you all the wisdom that I've gleaned over the last 20 or 30 years, but when I'm in my own trial, I'm asking those deep questions too. I'm asking questions about why and what and all of that. We're all human, right? We're all in the same boat. But I do want to respond to the trials as God would want me to respond. I want to go deeper with him. So questions like this come up. Where can I find the wisdom and the understanding to use these testing experiences in the right way? Well, this is what we're going to dig out tonight. We're going to ask some questions about how we can do that how we can count it all joy, how we can have the wisdom that God wants us to have. I want to have God's wisdom in every situation of my life. I'm sure you do too. And I know especially in my trials, I desperately want his wisdom. I want to remind you of a story in your Bible that maybe a lot of us don't spend a lot of time in, but you're particularly driven to, I think, in times of trial, and it's the book of Job. Turn there for a second. Job is the book right before the Psalms, okay? So go to the book of Job. And uh, Job was going through a trial. Now, we know, we know that heaven ultimately was in control behind Job's trial. We know there was a conversation between Satan and God, and we know that God allowed some things in Job's life. Go to Job 14, 14. And as Job was going through his trial, he was asking some deep questions. Here's one question he asked. Among, among many we could talk about. He said in Job 14, 14, if a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. I think one of the hardest things when you're going through a trial is to wait for wisdom. You can seek it. You can ask of the Lord to grant you the wisdom to navigate the trial or to see it in the proper perspective. But waiting for that 
time when God imparts it to you is hard. And on top of that, some of you have questions about how God speaks to you in a trial. Like if you lack wisdom and, and you can ask of God and he does give wisdom, how does he give it? How does it come? We would all love if it came by way of a text or an email or even the opening of the heavens and, you know, some clarity that I know, that I know, that I know it's God and God is telling me whether I should go to the right or to the left. I was talking to a young lady just on the phone recently who said she's praying for God either to bless it or block it. I thought that was a pretty cool way when you're praying about, you know, an opportunity or a job or a move, God either bless it or block it. It's another way to say God either open the door or close the door. Make it plain to me and please hurry. Can I get a witness? Make it clear to me and could you do it before 10.30 p.m. tonight? That sure would be nice if you could work on my timetable, God. But I think part of the stretching process is the waiting process. Because in the waiting, that's the time that you go deeper. It's from the time of the question or the trial to the answer. It's that in-between time that God is probably doing the best tapestry work in your heart. And that's the time I will admit from this pulpit I don't necessarily like because I don't like waiting. I can be a very impatient person in lines at the supermarket I want to be gracious, but I also want to go home, you know? And so we all feel that tension, I think, in this process. Job, in chapter 28, asked a question that is very relevant to our topic. Let's flip over to Job 28, look at verse 12. Job 28, verse 12. And of course, Job was in the trial of all trials, and here's what he asked, and it's, again, germane to our topic. He says, but where can wisdom be found, Job 28, 12? Where is the place of understanding? If you have an NIV, it says, Where does understanding dwell? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, It's not in me. The sea says, It's not in me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued 16 in the gold of Ophir and precious onyx or sapphire, Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned. And the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from, says Job? Where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon, or Hades, and death say, with our ears, we have heard a report of it. But here's the point. God understands its way. He knows its place. He alone knows where it dwells. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. God knows all things. And then down to verse 28. And to man, he said, God said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, what's your Bible say? That is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Now, I know you guys have heard that before, but I want you to flip over to Job 42, because Job had God shoot a bunch of questions his way. I was doing a, some quick research, and I think it's over 70 questions, maybe 77, that God asked Job. 
And then Job makes a confession in the last chapter of the book of Job. He says, it says, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes, what? My eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. After the trial of Job, if you uh, turn over to the book of Proverbs, which is a little bit over to your right, over his trial, he said, I had heard things about you, but now... I see you. Can I say to you, brothers and sisters, with as little as I know, having navigated this planet for some five decades now, much of it with God's help, here's what I do know. I will find my answers in the face of God and nowhere else. And I would love to give you, you know, Five bullet points on how to do this, but I'll just simply say this to you, that trials drive me to the face of God. And one day when I see his face, all my questions will be answered. But right now, he allows me to get glimpses and he invites me to a throne of grace that I may receive mercy and help when? In time of need. And if you read Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4 is about a sympathizing high priest who sympathizes and empathizes when we go through what? Temptations and trials. And that's, he is where we find our answers. He is wisdom from God. As a Christian, Jesus Christ is where I go. In him, Colossians 2.3 says, are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. I go to him. This is where I need to be. That's why many people, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, first get saved coming through a storm. Because you often, when you run out of answers, when you come to the end of yourself, that's when you begin to seek that which is higher. That, that's when you begin to say, Lord, if you're out there, Lord, if you're real, I want to know you because I've run out of options and I don't have all the answers and I don't have the answers to the to the really big questions about why I'm here and where this life is going and about death, but you do. So I'm going to go to you. And so the wisest men on the planet did this very thing. Proverbs 1.7, if, you, if you're over there, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. They don't seek out wisdom, but you need to. Go to Proverbs 9. Flip over. Uh, Proverbs is the book of wisdom, so it's a place we should be. Proverbs 9, verse 1 says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat my food. Drink the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live. Proceed in the way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. He who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. 
Do not reprove a scoffer lest he hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you go back to Proverbs 2, Proverbs 2, the writer is saying, he's talking about the value of wisdom. And he says, look, you got to pay attention to it. Proverbs 2, 2, you got to incline your heart to understanding. You got to cry for discernment. Lift your voice for understanding. Proverbs 2, 4, you got to seek wisdom as silver. Search for her as hidden treasures. Then when you do this, you will discern the fear of the Lord. You will discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom our subject, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The Lord gives wisdom. He is the fountain of wisdom and knowledge. When you open God's word, you are opening the book of wisdom. It is chalked full, packed with wisdom. And oftentimes, let's face it, we are driven to more prayer and more Bible study when we are in a trial. Because we say something like this, Lord, I need to hear from you. I'm struggling. Go back to the book of James. I need an answer on this. I, I am pressed in a tight spot. What do I do? How do I move? How long do I wait? And the Lord imparts wisdom. James says, if you lack wisdom, and I think we all could say that we do lack it, then we need to ask of God. If any of you, I want you to notice in verse 5 of James 1, it applies to any of you. Some of you are thinking tonight, it applies to every other Christian, but not me. I've tried this before, Pastor Michael. Everybody else, people come and they say, the Lord spoke to me, the Lord spoke to me. And I'm like, how did he speak to you? Please. Give me a little insight, right? And you may be in that boat tonight. The Lord doesn't speak to me like he speaks to everybody else. Well, let me just say to you, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, any of you, all these early Christians, and of course we're reading the letter today, if we lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now God gives to all men, all people, how does he do it? He is generous. You are not the exception. God is generous with wisdom giving. He is a giving God. God so loved the world that he gave. Later in the book of James, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shifting or shadow. God is consistently generous with wisdom. In fact, he says, in all your getting, get wisdom. It's the superior thing. So he's not going to hold it back from you. And I'll give you an example. This is a personal example, and it applies to my youngest son, James. So James is a freshman at Biola, and uh, he was in the youth group uh, not that long ago. And we were, as a family, wrestling with the college tuition amount, as in dollar signs. So mom and dad were talking with James, and we're, we're all praying, and we're looking at, you know, can we do this as a family? 
And so I know that whole time leading up to um, James' freshman year, he had graduated and he was in youth group one night and uh, he told me the story that Pastor Brian just said, hey, if you're struggling with something tonight or you just need to put something before the Lord, then take this time. And they had a, a kind of a quiet time where they were just seeking the face of God and they were petitioning the Lord just quietly, you know. And James said, in that moment, and I just talked to him on the phone a few hours ago, in that moment, he said, Dad, I just saw a ram caught in the thicket, in a bush. And so after this happened, I think it was within about that week or so, he came to me and he said, Dad, uh, this is, this is kind of what I saw in my head. Um, can you confirm, you know, that story? And I said, yeah, that's Genesis 22. And I happened to have recently just studied that. And right after that happens, it says in that text, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And James went, whoa. And I went, yeah. <laughs> and here's the point. I'm not saying that everybody's going to see an image in their mind, but you might. But even the image that James saw was a Bible verse. And I will say this to you. The primary way that God has spoken to me over the years, though I do not want to put God in a box, is through his word. Oftentimes what's happened to me is I'll be praying about something and I'll say, oh God, you know, do I go to the left or the right? What do I do here? And more often than not, it's been through my own personal study of the Bible or another pastor preaching where I have gotten a word from God. Can I get a witness? Anybody else out there? Or someone may send me a Bible verse that they had on their heart to share with me. There's all different ways that God can do this. But the primary source of wisdom is his word. And here's where there's a caveat just to be careful. Because if, if you're praying about something and let's say that you have a scenario and you have door A and B and you really want door A to happen. Well, we can play some games with ourselves about looking for signs and things like that. And I'm saying we just need to make sure that we anchor our answers in God's word. Okay? I'm not trying to put God in a box, but I am saying God knows how to get to you. He knows your phone number. He can use other people. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I'm saying if it's anchored in a verse of scripture that you can confirm it, this is the revealed wisdom of God. And I think God will center what he says to you in a Bible verse. That's just my personal view. And so Paul asks questions like, well, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe of this age? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Look, there are people, the books fly off the shelf for people to get practical wisdom on life choices and finances and what should I do next and how do I find the right person and all of that. Hey, that's all here. You, there's two forms of wisdom. We'll read about that later in the book of James. There's an earthly, natural wisdom. There's a demonic wisdom. And there's wisdom from above. Which one do you want to choose? Which, do you, which way you want to go? There's plenty of books. There's plenty of how-to specials for three easy payments. They're always easy payments because you're making it to the other person. For $29.99, you can get this CD series. You can get this DVD series. You can download this teaching, right? But God already has downloaded a book 
You just need to get it into your head. And it's, and it's a matter of reading it and heeding it. Now, wisdom is Sophia in Greek. It's spelled S-O-P-H-I-A, transliterated into English. And many, many definitions I could give you, but let me give you a few. Wisdom, A.T. Robertson, is the practical use of knowledge, if you're taking notes. Wisdom, another writer says, is knowledge applied. Ralph Martin says, for the Jewish mind, wisdom meant practical righteousness in everyday living. Here's another one. Wisdom is the knowledge of the Holy One of God, His Word, His will, His way, and then applying it. Let me say that one more time because that's my personal definition. And I want you to remember it. (laughs) Wisdom is the knowledge of God, His Word, His will, His ways, and then doing it. James 1.22, later we'll study this, says, But prove yourselves to be what? Doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Wisdom is much more than knowledge. Wisdom is much more than intellect. You can have a state of facts. You can have a doctorate and be a fool. Because wisdom is more about practical things. It's about practical livings. Living. Now, you can, be, you can have a doctorate and be a wise person, don't get me wrong, but you could also have many degrees, many letters behind your name and be foolish. Moses said, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. That's Psalm 90, verse 12. Proverbs 24, 3 says, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. Can I speak to the guys for a second? You need to be wise about how you build your house. Build it on a strong foundation. Build your marriage on a strong foundation. Raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. Make a decision as a man to lead your house in the way that it should go, that you guys should go. God will be generous. He will give you, verse 5, James 1, He will give generously and He will give without reproach. Break down the two words for a second. Generously carries the idea of singleness of heart, verse 5, James 1, of doing something unconditionally without bargaining. The word suggests God's unwavering intent to be generous when you ask him. The only condition is that we ask, and we ask in faith, and we ask with the right motives, as we'll see in chapter 4 of James. But you have to ask. You know, people in the Christian church say things like this, but it's legitimate. Did you pray about it? How many of you have had a friend say that to you and you're like, okay, Holy Joe. (laughs) But they're right, aren't they? Did you pray about it? Well, uh, 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 uh. Well, maybe you need to go back and pray about it. Maybe you need to ask, doesn't... It's not what everybody else thinks. It's, God, what do you think? Right? That's what this text is about. And we can be prone to say, well, I want to ask everybody else what they think before asking God what he thinks. God will give generously, and he he does it without reproach. 
If you have an NIV, it says he does it without finding fault. Sometimes when we come to God, maybe over the same thing over and over again, we kind of feel like, oh, Lord, I don't know if you want to hear this again. Or we can feel unworthy to ask. Something like this. I'd really like to ask you for wisdom and help right now, but I've been such a stinker this week. Look, God doesn't put preconditions on his love and generosity. He wants you to ask, and he wants you to ask in faith. Jesus told us to ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. What man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? For he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Matthew 7, 7 through 11. God invites us to a throne of grace to our high priest Jesus Christ and says, come. The Lord gives wisdom. He'll give you what you need in the situation. Now, wisdom is not merely knowledge or ability or intelligence or even genius. It is the power and ability to apply all those things. One writer says, The fool is more readily governed by feelings, desires, that which appeals to me. If it feels good, do it. Never mind the short-term or even long-term consequences on me, my family, my friends. The fool lives in the moment, in feelings, in the sense that the moment is all that matters. His life has no balance. But the wise man or woman gathers the facts, examines them, prays over them. He or she always uh, is testing them in the light of God's word. Always testing decisions in the light of God's word. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul picks up this theme about being a spiritual person. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 is the next place you want to go. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, Yet we do speak wisdom, 1 Corinthians 2, 6, among those who are mature. A wisdom, 1 Corinthians 2, 6, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom, 1 Corinthians 2, 8, which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, which has not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of that man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we, we church, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man, a person who's not born again, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who 
is spiritual, appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we, church, have what? We have the mind of Christ. What's an appraiser do? Have you ever had a house appraised? What do they do? They assess value. They'll come to your house, you're gonna refinance your house, and an appraiser sets up an appointment, and he looks at your property, he does comps of the neighborhood, he looks at upgrades you might have done, he looks at your view, do you have a pool, do you have this? And then he, and he assesses value. Let's say he says, okay, this house is worth this much money, and your loan is contingent on it, or whatever. A spiritual person makes appraisals not as the world makes them, but as the word of God makes them. Everybody with me? You can appraise things differently now. You can assess value, not as your non-Christians friends do, because they don't see value in your Bible studies. They don't see value. You give how much to the work of the Lord? What you, 10%? Come on, dude. They don't know what value is. Because they don't appraise things in the value of the kingdom of God. But you and I do, and we're trying to do more and more. That's what we have to understand. And so wisdom is a gift from God. He sends it to his people. Daniel was told, do not be afraid, Daniel, in Daniel 10, 12, from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come, says the angel, in response to your words. From the first day or moment, you said to heaven, help me understand, I was dispatched. God gives generously and without reproach. If you'll come. But you must come, James 1, 6, how? Let him ask, let the person who lacks wisdom, James 1, 6, ask in faith. Without any doubting, for the one who doubts, or he who oscillates in doubt is the idea, is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. We must come and ask God in faith. Now, faith is a Greek word, pistos or piste, and it is a word that means trust, which assumes a relationship. So when this Bible verse says to come or ask in faith, it assumes a relationship with God in a master-servant relationship, a shepherd-sheep relationship, a father-son or daughter relationship. Everybody with me? This is what is assumed in coming in faith because I'll tell you, many people pray. It's been said that there are no atheists in foxholes. If someone is about to get in a major collision or they're in a foxhole with bullets flying over their head, many people pray. Jonah, down there sleeping at the, in the bottom of the ship, the people come down, what are you doing, man? Cry out to your God. Maybe one of these gods is real and he'll answer. We're in a storm, dude. Where are you from and where are you going and what's up with you? Right? Look, many people pray. The question is, is it a prayer of faith? Is your prayer about God and his kingdom? Is it about 
you wanting to go deeper with the Lord? Or is God a bellhop in the sky and you just want him to do something for you? And then, see you later, God. Thanks for getting me out of that one. There's no relationship there. There's no faith. That's just convenience. Let's face it. And there are many people who pray out of convenience. And, and look, God is so good and so gracious that even in an emergency, he'll hear your prayer and he'll, he'll be wooing you to himself. But when we ask, there is a how. We need to ask in faith. In Mark 11, verses 22 through 24, Jesus said, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it shall be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. Just so you know, this prayer does have some contingencies. Like this mountain is probably the Temple Mount in a specific context. And when you say to a mountain, be moved, in Jewish thought, a mountain being moved was an expression in Jewish thought of overcoming difficulty. Lord, I don't know if you can move this mountain, but I'm going to ask you to. That's the idea. So when we come and we align ourselves with God's will and we pray and we come in faith, well, God wants to bless James' illustration here, notice in verse 6, if you're a doubter, you're like, this is a simile with the word like, there's an example given from the ocean. If you come doubting, you come without faith, you're not really a believer, it's just about an emergency escape, you'll be like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. James may have used this example from his Time around the Sea of Galilee, don't know for sure, but storms would come up there. But here's, here's uh, James, I think it's uh, James Moo. He says, The image is not so much of the wave rushing shoreward as, of the constant, as it is of the constant restless surging of a body of water, like the surface of the sea, never having the same appearance from moment to moment, shifting and moving according to the direction and strength of the wind. The divided person has no fixed beliefs and no direction. Having no anchor for the soul, Hebrews 6.19. He is prey to every shifting wind of doctrine, contrary storm of opposition and persecution. His loyalty to God is constantly threatened. He does not possess unwavering confidence in God because he or she is not even sure they're a Christian. How can you have confidence in prayer if you don't even know if you believe in God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. So I ask you, do you believe? If you want to go to God as a person who doesn't believe and then you, you want to come and pray, you haven't even settled where your loyalties lie. You haven't even settled which king and kingdom you serve. So you're going to be like a person storm-tossed because you haven't even made up your mind if you want to be a Christian. Now look, there's a time for examining the faith, and you may be there tonight. There's a time when you're trying to figure out, is this the way I should go? But there's also a time when you know it's time to decide. It's time to plant your flag. Are you going to be a Christian or not? Are you going to serve me or not? I've, I had the Lord speak that to my heart many times. 
I want you to decide. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ or not? Do you want to continue to be storm-tossed and blown around by every wind of doctrine? Or are you going to find me to be the anchor of your soul? Are you going to blow with every wind of culture and doctrine? Believe something about God until your friend tells you something different and you don't investigate it. And, and you go, well, now I believe this. Now I believe that. Now I believe this. Oh, my friend just shared this with me. Now I believe that. You're storm-tossed. You have no anchor you don't know what you believe or why you believe it. It's just the next fad, the next phase. That's what James is saying. He's saying God is generous and gracious, but if you're a doubter and you haven't made up your mind about what kingdom and king you serve, you're on a roller coaster ride, out of control, on a wild ride to nowhere. You're like a, one of those buoys or corks bouncing up and down in the ocean. You ever seen those things? They just kind of blow with the wind. Can you see the faces of some people that you know? Can you picture them? Storm-tossed, blown around. In fact, sometimes when they walk in the door, it almost feels like wind followed them in. No anchor. And no, no real solid answers for life. Maybe you've met one, maybe you know one, maybe you used to be one, maybe you are one tonight. And James says, look, if you want wisdom from God and you haven't planted your flag, just, uh, just know that you shouldn't expect that you will receive anything from the Lord. If you are that person, you're, you're a doubter, you have not pledge your allegiance to Christ, you're not going to get anything from God. James says you can take this to the bank. Don't expect to get anything from the Lord. As it was said to the people of Israel by Elijah, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal's God, then follow him. And the people answered him, nothing. They said nothing. And the final verse this person being described in this simile of the ocean is a double-minded man or a double-minded person, unstable in how many? In all his ways. This is in, literally, this word double-minded is the word soul. It's sukas. It's literally double-souled. That shows you how deep the division is. They're not just double-minded. They're double-souled. They haven't made up their mind if they will give their soul to Christ. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? You have a soul. Your soul is going to live on. And Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? If you gain the whole world, it would not profit you to give up your soul. And some people are double-souled. Barclay a walking civil war. They're, they're in a war with themselves as to what they should believe. You ever seen those actors that they paint one side of their body with one character and then they turn and then they're another character? <laughs> That's kind of the person here. One moment they look like they're a, a Bible-toting Christian. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Next moment. <laughs> You're like, what happened to you, bro? Well, today I'm over here. Sunday from the hours of 10 to noon, I'll be over here. 
and they're unstable in all their ways. And look, that kind of person, well, I'll just say it. I've been that kind of person, and I don't want to be there again. Leading up to my uh, trusting in Christ by his grace, and even the first few years as a Christian, I was, I was double-souled. One day I was over here, next day I was playing this part. And that's instability. In Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan called such a man Mr. Facing Both Ways. The depth of his struggle deep in his soul. Should I believe? Should I not? Should I trust? Should I not? But I want to leave you with some good news. Here's the good news. The man or woman of God who is single-souled or single-minded, who has made up their mind, you're not going to be perfect, but you've made up your mind that you're serving Jesus, no turning back, who believes and knows the Lord, can expect to receive wisdom and strength from God. As one writer put it, the testing of our lives make it possible for us to be become immensely wise. The testing of our lives creates the possibility that we become immensely wise. And so we have these wonderful examples in Scripture of men and women who once were foolish and became wise, and they changed the world. And I ask you, and I think James, if James were up here tonight, knowing how James was, I think he would ask us, so... What do you want to be? Who are you going to follow? Whose wisdom is going to illumine the path of your life? Because you got one life, and soon it will be passed. And only the things you do for Christ will truly last. So I pray that you can be a person of wisdom. I can be a person of wisdom and pass that along to others. Father, Thank you for your word. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It helps us. The wisdom of your word helps us when we're going the wrong way and it illumines the right way. And I pray that the folks here tonight that you've brought to this place for such a time as this would hear the voice of God, the voice of wisdom. And if you're here tonight, I'm going to ask you to pray right now. Just if you bow your head and your heart, can you say tonight that you heard God speak? Well, his word was taught. And here's the question. Are you willing to make a commitment to follow him? He's been wooing you. He's been calling you. Maybe you're in a trial right now and he's been driving you to himself. The first step is to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's here tonight. He loves you. That's why he died on that cross for you. But he's going to ask you to make a decision to follow him. To no longer be an unstable person, but to find stability in the anchor who is Jesus Christ. And it does need to be a prayer of faith. It needs to be a prayer of trust. Something like this. Lord Jesus. And if it's you tonight, I plead with you to pray right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Say it out loud if it's you. I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Thank you that you love me so much, Lord, that you came down, lived the perfect life that I can't live, 
Thank you that you died on that cross and took my shame, my punishment, what I deserved at the cross. And thank you that you defeated the grave. You defeated death and that you're alive and you're, you're in heaven and you're coming again. And I, I'm going to ask you, Lord, to be my Lord and my Savior, to be my King. I want to follow your wisdom. I want to live for your kingdom. I want to be the man or the woman that you've called me to be. So change me from the inside out, Lord. Let me be born again to a living hope in you. If you're a backslidden Christian and you just, you wandered in here tonight and you know God's calling you back to serve him and to walk with him closely, just, just do some business with him right now and just say, Lord, I, like the prodigal, I want to come to my senses. I've been in the pig pen long enough. I want to come home. Lord, I know that you'll be quick to embrace any prodigal in this room who's wandered away. And for the, the dear saints here, Lord, make us more wise, make us more like you. For those who are in a trial right now, I pray that you'd grant them the wisdom that they're asking you for. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.